0: couple of things before we get started. We're still in need of of one ministry helper in the class and that is for someone to help with the uh, fellowship organizing. So two times during the course of the year we're going to have a class fellowship and we have two people that organize those class fellowships. One person has already signed up. We're still in need of one person or a couple to help out. Uh, with the class fellowship, okay, and that sign-up sheet is back there on the back table. Also, if you haven't signed up for the uh, class email, please sign your email on this sheet and I'll, I'll hook you up with uh, the email list and then I'm, I'm continually sending out uh, extra material that's relevant to the class for this uh, email sign-up. Okay, and I didn't put it back there. Would somebody put this back there for me? Thanks, brother. Okay, one other thing. We have some additional resources that we're handing out along with each of the lessons to help kind of explain and clarify and maybe even broaden your understanding of of the topic. The first week we were handing out a uh, a CD called What is the Gospel by D.A. Carson. If you don't have this, there's a whole stack of them back there on the table. Is, this will really help you. This is a very, very comprehensive understanding of the gospel and it's very clearly and clearly articulated and explained. okay? D.A. Carson, what is the gospel? And then this morning we have two more. Uh, and these are both an exposition of the text in Romans chapter three concerning the gospel. The first one is by John Piper, and he, there he's dealing with verses 21 through 26. So this is uh, John Piper's exposition of Romans three twenty-one through twenty-six. The second is um, by Phil Johnson, and uh, his is entitled "The Heart of the Gospel." And this also is an exposition of the text on Romans three verses twenty-one through thirty-one. Okay, and so two expositions of Romans chapter three in the in the twenties there, if you will which is also what we're going to be doing the next couple of weeks here in the class. We're going to go right to the Scripture. We're going to see how the Bible defines the Gospel, what its nature, what its elements, what its characteristics are in the text of Scripture. And so these are there to help us and broaden and expand our grasp on that text in Romans chapter 3, okay? Okay, all those CDs are back there. Please avail yourselves of them. These are very, very helpful. Okay, with that, let's pray. God, our Father, Lord, we praise you and we honor you this day. We thank you, Lord, that you are the sovereign King of heaven, that, Lord, you hold the whole world in your hands, that nothing escapes your attention, God, but that, Lord, you see the hearts of all. Lord, you know the end from the beginning. In fact, you have decreed the end from the beginning. And we praise You for that, God. We praise You that our salvation is sure. God, that You have worked Your righteousness in our Lord Jesus and that through faith in Him we can be freely justified. God, what a glorious truth. What glorious good news for us sinners. We pray, God, that as we look into Your Word that you would open the eyes of our heart and cause us to see the gospel in all of its glory. Lord, that you would encourage us and strengthen us in our faith. Lord, that you would warn us of the great consequences of sin. And that, Lord, you would set your hope in our hearts as we long to see your kingdom come to reign upon the earth in all of its majesty, God. And so we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly and put your enemies to flight, we pray. Lord, we long for that day when there will be no more mourning or dying or crying or pain. And so, Lord, we thank you for such precious promises. We honor you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so then, with that, we um, have been uh, in a lesson on the gospel and dis- describing and discussing the gospel at length. And just, just a really brief review, I want to remind you that we're saying that the gospel is a message. What is the gospel? The gospel is the message about Jesus Christ. It's the message of the good news of Jesus Christ that God has provided a lamb a sacrifice to cover, to atone for our sins. The gospel is the message about what God has done in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And if you will, we're talking about the nature of that message and that the the nature of the message really at its core is very simple. The gospel is something that's very simple, right? And we kind of sum that up by, by using the basic categories of the gospel, which are God, man, Christ, response. In other words, the gospel proclaims to us that man has separated himself from God by his sins, but that God has provided Jesus Christ as an atonement for sin, a substitution, a sacrifice for sins. And that that sacrifice, that substitution, that righteousness of God that is in Jesus can be received through repentance and faith. And so the response that the gospel holds out to us is that we are to repent of our sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and in His substitutionary sacrifice. Amen? Amen. And so the gospel is real simple. Man is separated from God. God has provided Christ to reconcile us to Him, and we receive Christ through repentance and faith. Amen? Amen. And so that is the essential or the core element of the gospel. However, we've also been saying that the, the entire Bible, if you will, is written as a support and a framework whereby the gospel can be expressed and displayed to us. And that the entire Bible was written to reveal Jesus Christ, who is the center of the gospel. And that the cross, we've said, is the center event in all of human history. And that, uh, that God made the entire creation for the very purpose that he could manifest his love for us on the cross at Calvary. That is the purpose for the existence of the universe. So that God could display his glory through Jesus, the Lamb of God. So look who's got their cell phone on this morning. <laughs> Forgive me. (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) Okay, then. (laughs) And the razzing begins. So then, the gospel is, if you will, very complex because it's like a multifaceted diamond. It has so many aspects to it. It has so many nuances. It has so many things that are relevant to it in the purpose and in the plan of God in redeeming us from our sins. And so we've been talking about those things at length, you know, just the idea that, the gospel is eschatological or that it has to do with the end of time or the end of history, is that God is summing up all things in Christ. That's why the whole world is held accountable to God for how they deal with the man, Jesus Christ. And, and, and in the end of life, when man faces the judgment bar of God, there will only be one sufficient answer for man to be saved. Amen? And that is, that Jesus died for me. Amen? And if you will, that's all that will matter on that day, is how you stand in relationship to Jesus Christ. So as it goes, in the end of all things and in the end of the world, let me tell you, God will judge the world through the man whom he has appointed, and it will be a righteous judgment according to the holiness of God. And every will be judged according to the deeds done in his body. And in that day and time, there will only be one way to be justified before God. That is through repentance and faith. Amen? And so, if you will, we're going to see that really clearly here in the Scripture. So, the Gospel is a message, and at its core, it's a very simple message, yet it's very complex in the way that it is displayed and described in the Bible. And, you know, you really need to begin to think about why you exist. Why did God create you? Why are you on the earth? And that gets down to the heart of why God created everything and why everything exists. Are you with me? And it's important that we see our life in relation to the cross as primary above all other things. We're not just here so that we can just skate through life on cruise control and and be happy and blessed. Are you with me? Of course, those are results and benefits that come from being reconciled to God. And they're glorious indeed. Amen? But that isn't the reason why we're here. We're here to glorify God. And we're either going to glorify Him in our reverent submission to His gospel, or we're going to glorify Him in damnation, where His justice is vindicated. Are you with me? And either his justice will be vindicated by our destruction, or his justice will be vindicated by Jesus bearing our sins in his body on the tree. One way or the other, God's justice is going to be vindicated. Amen? And that's why it's imperative that we are in right relationship to God through Christ. Amen? Okay, so with that, um, we're going to pick up where we left off, which is on page 66. And I'm going to uh, describe to you these words that we're using that describe elements of the gospel. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through an exposition of the text in Romans 3, verses 19 through 28. But in that exposition, I'm going to show you how the text of Scripture is actually describing the gospel with these different elements. And these elements are what we're describing here right now which were really laid out for us rather well on that CD by D.A. Carson. And here's how he defined, if you will, the gospel and its basic elements and what its nature is like. What is the nature of the gospel message, okay? Well, the nature of the gospel message is it's Christological. That is that it's a message about Christ. It's a message where Christ is at the center of the gospel. So it's Christological. It's also theological. It's, it's a message about God the Father and how through Christ we're reconciled to God the Father. And, and so it's intensely important element of the gospel that it's all about God in a sense. And, and, and Jesus Christ being at the center, God very God is incarnate, Jesus on the cross dying to provide righteousness that God requires for mankind. And so the gospel is Christological and it's theological in those senses. It's a message about how we're reconciled unto God. It's also a message that is biblical. So apart from the Bible, I was saying this last week, apart from the Bible, what message would we have? What secular source do you go to that defines for you who Jesus Christ is and what he did? There are none. Okay. The, the message of the gospel is intensely biblical. Its origin is in the Bible. It's completely described in the Bible from end to beginning. And there is no other secular source outside of that that testifies to the message of the gospel. Period. Okay? It's, it's a message that is absolutely biblical. And that's why the doctrine of the authority of scripture is so important to Christianity. If this isn't the word of God and it's not reliable, then the gospel message isn't reliable. And the message about God's judgment isn't reliable. And we have nothing to fear if we don't have to face a holy God. Amen? Therefore, Jesus has no reason or existence or a reason or purpose to die on the cross because we have no holy God to be reconciled to because of sin. You understand? But if these are, in fact, the words of God, and they are, Amen? Then there is a holy God to be feared. For every one of us is under the condemnation of the law of that holy God because we have failed to fulfill it. And in so doing, we have offended the holiness of God. And there's only one way that we can be made right before God because of the offense of our sin. You see, we've already forfeited our own righteousness by sinning. Therefore, God has to provide a righteousness for us that's outside of ourselves Otherwise, we're hopelessly lost and under the condemnation of God and subject to his wrath. And we're all that way by nature because we're all by nature sinners, right? And so 1 Corinthians makes it so clear. It says, in Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. Who is that? All that are in Christ. Amen? And so, if you will... This message is, is is biblical. It's a biblical message. It exists entirely in the Bible. And that's why whenever we start discussing the gospel or evangelizing someone or seeking to grow in our understanding of what it all means, that all of that data has to come from the Bible. Because this is where God has revealed his purpose, his plan, even himself, in the holy words of Scripture. Amen which indeed is the word of God, the special revelation that God has given to us about who he is and what he's doing in the world. Amen? The gospel is a biblical message. It's also an apostolic message. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that the message was clarified and delivered to us through the apostles. These are the ones whom God himself, Jesus incarnate in the flesh, discipled while he was here and he discipled them and taught them how to establish his church, right? And so he delivered to them, if you will, the gospel of the kingdom. And then after he fulfilled the gospel of the kingdom through his death, burial, and resurrection, right, then he commissioned them to take that gospel of the kingdom out into the world and to establish his kingdom through the preaching of that gospel. And so in that sense, right, right, The gospel is apostolic. It's brought to us through the apostles. Okay? Not only that, but very much clarified by the apostles, especially the apostle Paul. Amen? And so, not only that, but the gospel is historical. You see, Jesus is really God incarnate in the flesh, dying on a cross at Calvary some 2,000 years ago. And... Our faith is based entirely upon that historical fact. Jesus did actually come into time and space, give his perfect righteous life as a sacrifice of atonement for our sins, which really do exist against the holy God. Amen? And it is that historical fact of Jesus dying on that cross that reconciles us to God. You cannot divorce the historical reality of what happened in Jesus' passion from the gospel. You can't do it. If you take Jesus dying on the cross as a real, real thing that happened in history away from the gospel, you have no gospel at all. Because that's the center of it all. That's the meaning of it all. That's where the, 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 the blazing center of the glory of God is. It's Jesus, that lamb dying on that cross. That's the manifestation of the righteousness of God. That's the manifestation of the love of God. That's the manifestation of the wisdom of God. Amen. That's the manifestation of the purpose of God in all of history. Are you with me? So it's it's a historical reality that took place. That's why when people begin to start attacking the Bible and saying that the Bible's not reliable, family, this is an issue of paramount importance. Why? Because the gospel, Jesus, the Lamb of God, dying on the cross and being raised from the dead three days later, comes from the Bible. It doesn't come from anywhere else. Are you with me? So if you find writings later in the course of history, either in the first century or after that, which talk about those things, it's only because those things were written down and clarified by the apostles and the servants of the Lord, right, in the Bible. This is where the gospel comes from. This is the record of history that was written down by eyewitnesses when it happened so that that historical reality could be established before us. So if we say that the words of scripture aren't reliable, then the the reality of Jesus himself dying on the cross, born of a virgin, incarnate God dying on the cross, are, are divorced from scripture, we don't have a gospel left anymore. It comes from the Bible. Okay, are you with me? Because the Bible is the record of history. By the way, anybody that spends due diligence searching to see if the Bible is reliable on its historical facts is usually in awe of how accurate the Bible is on its historical facts. Even when they investigate the critics and everything they have said about how the Bible is not historically reliable. Are you with me? Many people have been saved in that very endeavor. Amen? And so, is the Bible reliable? Of course it is. And it presents to us the historical facts of the gospel. (coughs) Furthermore, the message of the gospel is personal. You see, you as a person have sinned against God. And you as a person are liable and accountable to God for your sin. And if you do not have a sufficient way to establish your righteousness before God, you will be separated from God forever. And that's very personal. Because I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about you. Are you with me? And every time we tell somebody about the gospel, we're talking about them as a person. We're not just talking about the corporate reality of all of mankind, although we are, right? But we're also saying that this is intensely personal. And, and family, we all know this. Jesus is a personal Savior. He's a Savior that saved me, Sean Sloan, from my sins. Are you with me? And so it's important that we understand the gospel is personal, not only personal, but universal, It's a message for everyone on the planet. For everyone on the planet can be justified before God through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Did he not tell us to go and preach the gospel to every creature under heaven? And to make disciples of all nations. Right? Taking the gospel out to all the world of humanity. It's a universal message. It's a message for everyone. And it's a personal message to everyone. Amen? It's both personal and universal. And then furthermore, it's eschatological. And of course, we've talked at some length about this. The, the gospel has everything to do with the end of the age. It has everything to do with the end of the world. It has everything to do with why everything exists. Okay? And that's what we mean by eschatological, right? The, the word eschaton, it's a Greek word, which means last days. Okay, or last things. And so that's where we get the word eschatology. And so in the last, when it's all summed up, right, the gospel is of paramount importance. Okay, and that's what we mean by the gospel is eschatological. However, we will talk about that some more at some length. Remember, we were saying that the gospel presents to us a king and a kingdom, and that that kingdom has come now and broken into time and space through the preaching of the gospel. But that, that kingdom has not yet reached its climax. So that the gospel message is also a promise of a coming kingdom. A kingdom wherein is righteousness, where sin is banished from that kingdom. And the only thing that exists there is God in his perfect holiness and people who have been redeemed by God in happy, joyful bliss forever and ever, world without end. The utopia that we all dream about is promised to us in the gospel. Amen? And so in that sense, it's, it, it holds out an eschatological promise to us. Okay. So then, just kind of quickly, the, the gospel uh, is, is heralded through proclamation. What, what do we mean? Well, we mean that we preach the gospel. We tell people the gospel. It's a message message. So what do you do? Well, you communicate it, right? And isn't it interesting that Jesus in the Bible is called the Word of God, right? In the beginning was the Word, right? And the Word was with God in the beginning, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? Jesus is the Word of God. What does that mean? He's the communication of God. He's the communication of the message of God. Are you with me? And so the very nature of who Jesus is, is that he is a message. He's a message to the world that he came into to tell us that we can be reconciled to God through him. Okay, And so the gospel is a message that we preach. It's a message that we tell people about. It's like a herald running through the streets with a stack of newspapers Saying, extra, extra, get the latest news. This is what's going on. Right? It's a message. It's heralded. Are you with me? Okay? And then also, the gospel is received in authentic, persevering faith. There is a faith that the Bible describes that does not save. There is a faith that is not authentic. There is a faith that is false. Okay, which by contrast means then that there is an authentic faith. We like to call it true saving faith, the kind of faith that's real, genuine, sincere, that really does save, true saving faith, the kind of faith that the Bible describes that is possessed by all of those who are truly saved. Amen? And so that faith is not only authentic, but it's persevering, which means that that faith holds on till the end, and even that by God's grace. Amen? And so the gospel is disclosed in personal self-humiliation. That is that the preacher of the gospel is humbled in giving the gospel message. Why? Because he himself is also condemned as a sinner with those he brings the message of condemnation too. Are you with me? And let me tell you, that's why the gospel is not God loves you and has a plan for your life. Okay? That's part of the gospel. (laughs) That's a very important part of the gospel, right? But you can't get the good news until you get the bad news. And in giving the bad news... I have to be humbled with the sinner to whom I tell them that they are condemned before God because I, with them, am condemned before God because of what I've done. You with me? And so I have to humble myself. I mean, what an offense it is to people for a proud Christian to come boasting, right? But if we boast in the cross, what do we first say? I am a great sinner. It's like John Newton. I am a great sinner, but Jesus is a great Savior. Amen? Amen? You with me? And so when we preach the gospel, listen, we have to humble ourselves. We have to we are humbled by the gospel, whether we recognize it or not. Amen? Well, the gospel is the central confession of the whole church. I kind of kind of touched on this last week, but you know, I said what makes a church? What makes a true church? What makes the real church? Well, let me ask you this. What makes a Christian? What makes a Christian? And so I want to answer, first and foremost, what makes a Christian is somebody who, through repentance and faith, has trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what makes a Christian, right? And, of course, they've done that because they've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. So what also makes a Christian is they've been born again by the Holy Spirit. They are regenerate, right? So then, that answers our question as to what makes the church. Because wherever two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst. Amen? Two or three what? Two or three born-again believers. How'd they get born again? Well, that's a divine work of the Holy Spirit of God who's chosen them from eternity. Amen? However, what it looks like in our life is, one day I walk along through life, and God gets my address, right, in a, in a big way, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, showing me my, my absolute offense of my sin, and His great provision to meet that need that I have in Jesus Christ. Then through the gift that God gives me of faith, I believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm saved, or converted. Amen? And so, so all of those of us who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and repented of our sins, thus showing that our faith is authentic, right? We corporately gather together and we are the church. You are the church. You don't go to the church. How do you go to who you are? <laughs> Amen? Are you with me? The church is the gathering. It's it's the ecclesia. Right? It's the called out ones. It's the gathering of the assembly of the righteous. Amen? And that's what makes a church. Well, how do you get in the church? Well, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ through the gospel. Are you with me? So, the answer to my question, what makes a Christian and what makes a church? The gospel. And the way they respond to the gospel. Amen? Amen? Okay. So, that really is more important than you might think it is. Especially when we look around the world, there's so many denominations, there's so many teachings, there's so many churches, right? There's so many new people popping up every day with a new gospel message, right? And there's many, many false gospels in the world, right? Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that enter therein, right? But straight and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it, amen? Amen? And so the point is, is there's plenty of false gospels out there. There's only one true gospel, which is declared and proclaimed in very certain terms in the Bible. Amen? Okay. So then the gospel is boldly advancing under the contested reign and inevitable victory of King Jesus. So remember how I told you that the kingdom of God has now broken into time and space, but has not yet reached its climax. That's because right now, God has a specific dispensation of time where He is calling His elect out of darkness through the gospel. Amen? And gathering them together for the day when they will be glorified in Him when He comes on that day. Amen? And right now is a time of unprecedented mercy where God has swung the doors of heaven wide open in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has said, Come to me, all ye who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. And God has invited everyone in the highways and byways to his feast. Amen? Nevertheless, constantly and continually... That gospel message is being contested. It's being defamed. It's being polluted. It's being attacked. Right? Every attack on the Bible is an attack on the gospel. Right? And so when you're watching these things on the History Channel and PBS, you know, they got a new book of the Bible and they got a new Jesus, right? You know, elude, immoral drunken Jesus you with me you've seen that kind of stuff right you know or he's a cosmic Jesus you know I mean ad infinitum but but the point is, is that listen there's only one Jesus and there's only one gospel amen are you with me and men are constantly and continually attacking that Paul says through their deceitful scheming and their conniving right right Men seek to profit themselves off the gospel. What a horrifying thought on the day of judgment. Amen? So we got to be careful. <laughs> There's a lot of counterfeits out there, right? Of which the apostles warned us again and again and again, don't get this thing wrong, they were telling us. Amen? Which is the charge to a pastor, right? Preach the word, man. In season and out of season, right? Convince, rebuke, and exhort with Great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will no longer receive the truth, right? But instead will heap to themselves teachers, right? That say what their itching ears want to hear. He says they will turn away from the truth unto myths. Amen? You with me? So, so the point is, is that we very carefully and patiently instruct about the word and the gospel. Amen? Okay. So then, just quickly uh, from Tim Keller, he says the gospel is doxological. The gospel is a message that teaches us to glorify, enjoy, and worship God and his Christ as the great purpose of all of life. You know, the doxology, you know what that is, right? That's that section in, in Revelation where, where all the People and all of creation, or all the angels in heaven, are given glory and honor and wisdom and power and strength to the Lamb of God, who did purchase men with his blood from every tribe and language and nation and people. Amen? What are they doing? They're glorifying God, they're glorifying the Lamb, they're singing the praises, the high praises of Jesus, the Lamb of God. Amen? And so, in this sense, the gospel is an announcement of the glory of Jesus, the Lamb, and the glory of God in His coming kingdom. Amen? And this is something that we glory in. This is something that we exalt in. This is something that we praise and honor and celebrate with tremendous joy. Amen? And you know that joy if you've been born again because God gives us that joy by the Holy Spirit, doesn't He? And so if you haven't experienced that joy, come to Jesus in repentance and faith, and it's yours. Amen? And it's joy in a, in a hope that's solid. It's fixed. The kingdom is coming. Amen? And that's the announcement of the gospel. But it's doxological. We praise God for it. It's cultural. The gospel is a message that has power to transform the moral fiber of a culture. It cuts to the heart of how people relate to one another with conviction. Think about this. Think about in the history and the course of the world, how Christianity really has followed itself through what we call in today's era, Western civilization. Now think about how with with that message traveling through history, how God has blessed what we call Western civilization with light with truth, with morality, with law, with justice, so that those Western nations have become, if you will, the most knowledgeable, the most enlightened, the most innovative, the wisest, right? And even though it's still polluted, full of sinners, and actually in great decline (laughs) at one moment, right? And at the next moment, we see the blessing of what God has, has given to Western civilization, uh, but the point is is that consider how it's because of the transforming message of Jesus Christ and who he is that that impact upon Western civilization has taken place. You disagree with me? Well, let me just enlighten you to a fact. Did you know that back in the 1400s they came up with a thing called the printing press? And did you know that one of the great motivations for creating a printing press was so that they could print the Bible which had been newly translated by some of the reformers, right? Because the Bible had long been kept in darkness by the church, right? The Bible had long been kept in darkness. Did you know that there were many hundreds of years that the Bible was translated only in Latin? And that none of the common people spoke Latin whatsoever, And and it was the priests that were in the church who, who could receive Latin instruction and who had the Word of God themselves. But nobody had a Bible for hundreds and hundreds of years. We call these the Dark Ages. Why are they the Dark Ages? Because the light of the Word of God was not in the hearts of men. It was being kept hidden. Are you with me? And it was through some of the early reformers like Wycliffe and Tyndale and many, many others that the Bible was actually translated into the common language. Well, when that happened, there became a great need for people to be educated. You know, during that time, most of the common people weren't even educated. They didn't know how to read and write. Not all of them, but most of them. And so the common people were very ignorant, and they were controlled by the church. And, and of course, I'm just talking about, you know, Western culture. I'm not talking about the entire world. Of course, the... The Eastern peoples had been kept in darkness for many, many, many hundreds of years, right? Except for that manifestation of the gospel that they had through the original missionary disciples who went there. But the point is just that think about how once people began to want to read the Bible, that's what sparked education, right? And so that's what sparked the entire, what we call the Enlightenment, right? That's that's what that's what took men and began to teach them how to read and how to write and how to reason so that, that then they could read the Bible and during that time many of the people used as a primer for reading and writing the Bible that's what they taught in the schools for hundreds of years Amen That was even going on in America for quite so, quite a long time right But but so what happens when they're reading the Bible to learn how to read and write they get exposed to God's virtue. They get exposed to God's morality. They get exposed to the freedom and the forgiveness of the teaching of Jesus. And men are taught how to love one another, right? And the impact that that had on Western culture is just unbelievably bright for us to see. Are you with me? And so the gospel's cultural in this sense, it has the power to transform entire cultures. Are you with me? And so it's also transformational. The gospel transforms us into new creations in Christ Jesus as it is God's very power to save and transform. So what happens when you believe? Right? You're changed. You're changed. Right? From the inside out, you're changed. Your heart is changed. The nature of God. The nature of God comes to live in your soul and you believe. Are you with me? Through regeneration. What happens? We're changed. We're changed. We're transformed. Right? The Spirit of God comes to live in us. We're cleansed. We're washed. Right? How can Holy God live in such a defiled place as my heart? Right? Through the transforming power of the gospel. That's how. Amen? And I don't know about you, but I was changed. I'm a different man. I'm a new man. Amen? For if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Amen? The gospel is transformational. And furthermore, it is wonderful. It is beyond wonder. Amen? I mean, we're here pondering just the fringes of it, right? And just the the doorways are opening of, of revelation to what it all means and what it's all for. Amen? Think about how God will reveal his character and his nature and his kindness and his grace and his love and his mercy to us for endless eons and ages and ages, world without end in heaven. It'll just be one staggering revelation of the glory of God after another going on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Why is that? Because God in his being is infinite. And we're finite. It will take eternity for God to manifest all of the glory of his splendor to us throughout all the ages. The gospel is wonderful in what it holds out to us. Amen? And I want to tell you, it is also the central theme in heaven. Because Jesus is not only the lion of the tribe of Judah who has conquered and is able to open the book and read the scroll, but he's the Lamb of God who gave his life and purchased men from every tribe and language and nation and people. And that's why they're praising him in the doxology. Amen? The gospel, the Lamb that was slain, is the central figure piece in heaven with God on his throne or should I say, as God, on His throne. Are you with me? Not only that, the Bible says He is the light of heaven. He is heaven's light. He, It says there's no more sun. Right? No more sun. Why? Because the glory that shines from the being of Jesus is bright enough to light the whole place. Amen? He's the central figure in heaven. All of these things show us clearly that the gospel is complex and multifaceted message about God and his eternal purpose accomplished through Jesus Christ, which encompasses the entire record of human history and the fulfillment of the ages. Okay? I'm telling you, everything exists for the gospel and for the Lamb. Amen? Well, Something we don't want to ignore is the fact that Jesus himself is the gospel. What do we mean by that? What we mean by that is is that the gospel holds out the person of Jesus. And when you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, his person. You get him. Are you with me? You might be familiar with the book that uh, John Piper wrote. It's called... God is the gospel. What's his point in the book? (laughs) His point is is that it isn't just about the love of God, or the wisdom of God, or the wrath of God, or whatever other uh, attribute of God that you want to say the gospel is, but that you get all of God when you get the gospel. In fact, he himself is our exceeding great reward. Right? He is the treasure that we get in the gospel. Are you with me? So we receive him, his being. How more personal could it be, right? And of course the Bible uses the imagery of a marriage to describe the relationship of Christ and those whom he saves. We are his bride. Could there be a a more intimate expression that the Bible uses to talk about the union that we have with Christ? Are you with me? And so what we're saying is the gospel holds out Jesus. It's not just a message about what Jesus did. It's primarily about a message of Jesus himself and who he is. Are you with me? We can't divorce that aspect of it from the gospel. The gospel is holding out Jesus. And when you believe the gospel, you get Jesus. Amen? Which I might add, He is the most infinitely valuable thing that exists. And everything else is rubble and rubbish in the sight of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, says Paul. Amen? Okay, so, in its most basic element, the gospel is a message about Christ. Jesus himself is the beginning and the end of the gospel. And Paul, in writing to Corinthians, tells us this. Listen to what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 1, verses uh, 21 and following. He says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. Now what's he saying? The world through its own wisdom, the world through its own rationale, the world through its own reasoning does not come to know God. That's what it says right here, in the black and white. He goes on. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Now what's he saying? He's saying the message is foolishness. The message is foolishness to a world trying to reason its way to God. Are you with me? For indeed, Jews ask for signs... Right? You remember how all them Pharisees and Sadducees follow, follow Jesus around? Work a work that we might believe. Right? And every time they try to get him, right, they had a way. Show us your work, right? Jesus on the cross hanging there dying and they're mocking him. Take yourself down from the cross. Show us a sign. Right? Don't you know that every sacrifice that you've laid your hands on from the day you were born, you Jew... That I am the fulfillment of all those sacrifices right here on this cross being sacrificed for you? And you want me to come down? You with me? Jews demand a sign, right, he says. And Greeks, he says, search for wisdom, right? But we, listen, we don't show signs and we don't show wisdom. What do we show? Christ and Him crucified. A Jewish carpenter dying on a cross, being crucified by the Roman government. A man dying is the solution to the world's problems. How the world mocks at that message and calls it foolishness. Amen? But how it is indeed the wisdom of God, the sign of God, right? and the purpose of God and the reason why everything exists. You see how God in his wisdom is higher in his thoughts than man can ever attain to in his own natural reasoning? See, God has to show you that the cross is valuable. And that's why regeneration precedes faith. Because until the Holy Spirit comes and illumines the soul, you don't understand who Christ is, you don't understand what sin is, and you don't understand how sufficient Jesus is to meet the demands of God's righteousness. But when the Holy Spirit comes and opens up and turns on the light, what happens? Right? It's like that person you're trying to witness to. You've been trying to tell them about Jesus for days and weeks and months and years. Right? And you just can't see you come at that thing a hundred ways to Sunday. And you just can't seem to get them to see what you're talking about, right? They're just so confused. It's so foolish what you're telling them. And so you go and you get on your knees and you say, God, please open their eyes. Amen? Open the eyes of their heart, God, that they might see. What are you asking God to do? You're asking God to regenerate them you open up the eyes of heart and give them the revelation of the gospel you understand it's a gift by his grace faith is a gift that God gives and once he gives it then you have it to employ are you with me okay that's another story for another day but he says but we preach Christ and him crucified right we preach Jesus dying on a cross to Jews it's a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Right? To you who've been born again, Jesus on the cross is God's power. Jesus on the cross is God's wisdom. Amen? In fact, Jesus to us is a treasure beyond all treasures. Amen? If you're truly saved, He is your treasure. If He's not your treasure, you're not truly saved. Take my word for it. And then go dig in the book and find it. Okay? But let me tell you, it's true. It's true. God displays to you the infinite value of Christ through the Holy Spirit when you're born again. Consider it. That's why Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother... His brother and his sister. Yea, even his own life. He's not worthy to be my disciple. What is Jesus saying? He's saying if you want to come to him, you must treasure him more than your own very life. Amen? That's Jesus' gospel invitation for you. 1 Corinthians one thirty and following. There he says, But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus. Who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption? Think about what Paul's saying. He's saying that Jesus himself, his person, has become to us wisdom. Jesus is the wisdom of God. And he is righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That just as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What's Paul saying? He says, I'm not a fancy speaker. Right? He says, I came and told you about Jesus, the dying Lamb on the cross. That's what I preached. We preach Christ and Him crucified, said Paul. Here Paul says Jesus is the power of God and He is the wisdom of God. What Paul is communicating is that we cannot experience the power or wisdom of God apart from the person of Jesus Christ because He is the central theme of God's wisdom and power. We see the power and the uh, wisdom of God through the gospel, as it explains to us God's amazing love expressed through Jesus and His passion on the cross. We preach Christ crucified, says Paul. So you know, I want to ask you, Christian, when you're evangelizing people, what do you preach? What do you tell them? What's your What's your new gospel message for them? Well, I'd like to suggest it's the old gospel message. The old, old gospel message about what? An old rugged cross on the hill at Calvary where Jesus died. So all your fancy reasoning about what God's going to do for them in Christ, let me tell you, it needs to be centered around the fact that Jesus died for sins. Because sin has separated us from God. And without that death of Jesus, and without receiving that death of Jesus through through, through repentance and through faith, that they're going to be shut out from the presence of God. Remember, the gospel is a warning about the wrath of God. Are you with me? And, and, and so I, I, I'm, I don't want us just to reduce it to that either because the gospel holds out all the promises of God, too. Amen? And we love to tell people about those because we've been experiencing them and they're glorious. Amen? But we got to get the, all the facts right here. Are you with me? It's important. Paul says we preach Christ crucified. Okay? So do we. We preach Christ crucified. Don't forget that. The next time you're evangelizing somebody, let me just help you. Okay? Look, just get right to the cross. Just get right to the cross. And you'll get down to the nitty-gritty of what they need in their life. You don't need to tell them about their felt needs. They know what those are. Okay? But let me tell you, they don't feel the need to be reconciled to God, apart from revelation from the Holy Spirit. So you get right to the cross. You start talking about what's important. You start telling people about Jesus, the Lamb of God who died on the cross, and you'll start talking about the most important thing to them. And if you don't tell them about Jesus crucified, then you haven't said anything. Are you with me? Listen, we we, we can't connive our way into evangelizing. We can't convince somebody of the gospel. Okay? God has to do that. What we do is we present what the gospel is. And it's through that revelation that God gives people new birth. It happens by the Word and the Spirit. Amen? Through the Word, by the Spirit. Are you with me? So what is the word? Well, Paul says it's Christ and him crucified. Amen? Okay, his message is one about how the death of a certain man can redeem the entire creation from death and decay. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying the answer to all the world's problems, even the answer to death and dying, is the death of a certain man. Family, we've got the words of life. We've got the solution to the problem. It's a message. Amen? Are you with me? God help us to master that message and to wield it, right? With both sharp edges that it has. Are you with me? Because you know that word, it cuts to the heart, cuts to the soul, and it divides the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Amen. It opens a great light in the dark soul of man. Are you with me? This, he says, is a foolish message to the Greeks and a stumbling block to the Jews. But to those whom God has called, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. He goes on to tell us that Jesus has become for us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now, not that Jesus gives us these things, but that he, his person, is those things for us. Now, dear friends, here is true freedom. Jesus is my wisdom. Jesus is my right standing with God. You understand why I don't have to perform for God? I don't have to perform. Jesus already performed for me. I'm free. I'm resting in the glory of God. Because of what Jesus did for me. Are you with me? I mean, I realize I fall short. That's how I came to the cross. I came to the cross a broken, wicked sinner. (laughs) Are you with me? And Jesus gave me rest. He gave me rest for my soul. From what? From the heavy burden of the law of God, which I could never keep, which constantly condemned me. My conscience wounded with no hope in and of myself of what I could do. And Jesus offered his blood for me and paid the penalty in full. And now I'm free. I'm free indeed. Amen? I hope you're free too. Jesus, he is my right standing with God. He is my holiness before God. Jesus, it says, is our sanctification. He's our cleansing. He's our washing. He's the reason we are set apart unto God. Jesus is my redemption. My personal payment for my personal horrendous sins. Jesus paid Sean Sloan's debts before God in full. They're paid. Jesus is my personal payment. I'm reconciled to God. The Father and I are one in the Son. Are you with me? (laughs) Because Jesus paid it. Jesus paid it. I can rest. I'm paid for. Are you hearing me? (laughs) Glorious, glorious reality, family. Christ is these things for me because I am unable to be these things on my own. Oh, what a Savior! Jesus' very name means the Lord saves. And that's what He does. He does it completely and He does it perfectly. Amen? Jesus is the Gospel. This reminds me of a word from the man of God, John Newton. He said, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. That I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. Amen? Let me tell you, you want to rest? You want to rest from all of your labor? Look, put your faith in Christ. Okay? Christ is God's reconciliation. God reconciling us to himself. He did it perfectly in Christ. And when you come to God through Christ, family, you're set apart unto God. You're washed. You're cleansed. It's like that son coming home. The father runs out there and grabs the kid and gives him a bear hug, right? Puts him down. Put a robe on this boy. Put a ring on his finger. Kill the fatted calf. My son's come home. Are you with me? I tell you, the love of God is amazing. All of that in spite of my sin. And his grace is amazing beyond wonder. Would you agree? Let's pray. God, our Father, we honor You and we bless You. I pray, God, that we would begin to treasure this gospel like no other thing. That our Lord Jesus Himself would be to us the gospel. That He would be to us Your wisdom and Your power, God. Your righteousness and Your sanctification. Lord, that he would be the treasure of our life. God, I pray that you would cause each one of us to search our heart and to ask this question, is Christ my treasure above all other things? Oh Lord, I pray that you would minister through that. God, that you would reach into our hearts, and cleanse us and wash us and make us new. We thank you for your great love to us, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, in in whose name we pray. Amen.